0: Hello wine friends and welcome to the last episode in my deep dive series on what is hopefully an enlightening journey into the captivating realm of sparkling wines. Now these episodes are specifically focused for those taking their WSET diploma exams but perfect for any of you wanting to delve into the art and science of winemaking techniques employed to create these rather effervescent delights. Now, as always, this is done in a flashcard style, so you can pause the audio if you want to test yourself, but the pauses are only short, so should you just want to listen All the way through, you can. There is a focused episode on the esteemed Champagne region in France, which is episode 136. And also episode 129 focuses on the production methods of sparkling wine. But today we're going to travel to the enchanting vineyards of Italy, Spain, Germany and beyond. So join me as we raise our glasses and embark on the final sparkling expedition. (laughs) Cheers. So with champagne out of the way, I'm going to start us in France, but with Cremont. So this is a term used to describe sparkling wines produced in various regions of France, but outside of the champagne region. So these wines, they're crafted using the traditional method, which of course is the same used in champagne. What I want to ask you first of all is, what are, are the vineyard management that they need to follow when producing Cremont? Well, the logical thing, of course, generally they are picking the grapes earlier than they would do for the still wines that they're making in these regions. They may be using grapes that have actually been declassified from still wines. They need to hand harvest the grapes and there needs to be a minimum ABV of 9%. However, when we get to the Limoux region, the minimum ABV is 9.5, just to, you know, keep us on our toes. <laughs> now, what about the vinification requirements for Cremont? And I'm talking things like the minimum bars of pressure, the yields, the amount of time the wine needs to spend on the lees. Well the maximum juice yield is typically higher than it is in champagne so they will whole bunch press the grapes and they will get 100 litres of juice from 150 kilograms of grapes. Now in time on the lees it's nine months minimum on the lees and then released after a minimum of 12 months and with the bars of pressure It's a minimum of 3.5 bars, but actually in Alsace and in Burgundy, it is four bars of pressure. Now, I've already mentioned a few of the regions, but there are eight in France. And just again, for excitement purposes, there's also one in Luxembourg. So, where are all these regions? So, in France, we have Alsace. Loire, Limoux, Bordeaux, Burgundy, D, Jura, and Savoie. And as I mentioned, Cremont de Luxembourg, which is just north and west of Alsace. So I'm going to start with Alsace. We'll go round in a clockwise direction. What is the climate for Alsace? Okay, so firstly, just for its location, it's nestled in the foothills of the Vosges Mountains, and this is in the northeast of France. So it's dry and it's very sunny because it's in the rain shadow caused by this mountain range, which is to the west of this wine region. It's a continental climate, and of course, with that, there are risks of frost and winter freeze what are the grapes used in Alsace? There is a base grape typically. Well the base starts with Pinot Blanc but you'll find Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Riesling, Pinot Gris and Ossoir. And if they are making a Cremant Alsace rosé what grapes are they going to use? In this instance it will be 100% Pinot Noir. Now if we go to Burgundy, so this is still in the north of France, we're just talking just a little bit south of Champagne. What is the climate in Burgundy? So this is a cool continental climate, again risks of frost and winter freeze and actually just rain in the growing season, all good fun. Now, I mentioned we are close to Champagne, so I'm sure many of you could guess what grape varieties are principally used in their blends. We are talking Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, but they can also use Pinot Blanc, Pinot Gris, Alligote, Melon de Bourgogne, which you can find in the Loire Valley, Cersei, and also 20% maximum of Gamay can be used. Now, from Burgundy, if you go approximately 100 kilometers, you're going to get to Jura. If you want to get to grips with this region, I highly recommend you go to episode 123 with wine educator Jimmy Smith, who did a beautiful job taking you through all the terroirs, the microclimates, the diverse wine styles and the unique grape varieties. But as this is a region that doesn't produce the highest volumes, I want to just touch on the grapes. Do you know what grapes are going to be used in a Cremant de Jura? Grapes would be, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, Poulsard, Savagnin, Pinot Gris, and Trousseau, and equally Savoie. This is still in eastern France. It's approximately now one hundred and forty kilometers from Jura, going down south. Remember, we're going clockwise. Due to its proximity of the Alps, it too also experiences a cool climate with alpine influence just like Jura. Now the mountains they act as a barrier they shield the region from very extreme weather conditions and they provide protection against very harsh winds. The Alps also contribute to the development of diverse microclimates within this region so I'm definitely going to have to do an episode on this soon. There are variations in temperature in the amount of precipitation and sun exposure and this is because there's varying altitudes so within the Savoy wine region there are many different vineyards that range from the valley floor all the way up to steep mountain slopes and of course with the variation in altitude it leads to differences in temperature and obviously the sunlight exposition so the higher vineyards they can actually be located up to about 500 meters or even more and they're going to of course see cooler temperatures and higher acidity in their grapes there is also a lake effect. So the presence of lakes, this is particularly Lake Geneva and also Lake Bourget, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, they really influence the climate in Savoie as well. So let's just quickly look at the grapes. And this is why I definitely need to do an episode on this region. What are the grapes that would be used in Cremont de Savoie? So have you heard of Jacques? Or what about Altesse? Now, don't forget, you can download the transcript. Just go to the show notes and you'll find the links. You can see the spellings of these grapes. Thankfully, there's also Chardonnay, there's Aligote and there is Chasselas. So they are the grapes of Cremont de Savoie. Now, if we head to the Rhone Valley... At the southern point of the northern Rhône, now then if you go slightly to the east by about 50 kilometers and you tend not really to see this on wine maps of the Rhône Valley, you will find the ancient town of Dee, which sits at the foot of the French Alps. And oy, this one is always a little bit confusing. There are three D sparkling wines. So what are they? Well, you have Cremant de Die. You have Claret de Die, and then you have Claret de méthode Method d'Oise Ancestral. Now, the first two, Cremant de Die and Claret de Die, they are made in the traditional method. What are the grapes? So the grape used in both is Claret, whereas the Cremant de Die is a dominated blend. So there could be other grape varieties in there claret de D needs to be a hundred percent claret but now this is where it gets a little confusing with the claret de D method d'oise ancestral this is one of the most traditional ways to make sparkling wine so this does not have a second fermentation how is it made so This is going to be a slightly sparkling wine with a decent amount of sweetness. So, one fermentation... It's going to start very slowly and at a cold temperature of about five degrees, but it will finish in a sealed bottle. So it will go into a bottle when it has around five degrees of alcohol. There'll be no liqueur de tirage, so that's the yeast and the sugar added, because it's not having a second fermentation. It's just continuing the fermentation when it goes into bottle. The fermentation is going to stop naturally when the yeast is impeded by the CO2 that's been created and you're going to get an alcohol level of around seven to nine degrees. So the wine is going to spend about four months minimum on the lees. Now they could leave the yeast. In the bottle which is going to result in a cloudy wine or the yeast can be removed by disgorging using the transfer method so they'll chill down the wine in a tank and they'll filter under pressure there's obviously no liqueur expédition, so that's the sugar added in at the end. And you're going to have residual sugar of at least 32 grams per litre. So this is the demi-sec level. So almost the sweetest category within sparkling wine terms. Now, we haven't touched on the grapes used in this specific wine. What are they? Now, interestingly enough, to confuse you all completely, claret is actually only able to be a maximum of 25 percent of the blend it's actually muscat muscat blanc a petit grain that has to be a minimum of 75 percent so that is going to produce a really grapey exotic super fruity wine and of course this one is the sweetest but even clearer as a great variety you're going to find lovely peachy fruity soft flavors within the other two Right, enough of that confusing category. Let's go down to the Languedoc region. So, we're now on the southern coast of France. So, this is just north of Catalonia in Spain. And you're going to find Limoux. And here there are three sparkling wines again. What are they? So, you have Cremont de Limoux, you have Blanquette de Limoux, and then, wait for it, Blanquette de Limoux, Method Ancestral. So, I want to touch on the climate quickly. What have we got down here in the south of France? In terms of the influences, it is a mixture of Atlantic and Mediterranean. And altitude definitely is a key factor. So let's look at Cremont de Lemieux. What are the principal varieties that are going to be used in that blend? So 50% minimum needs to be Chardonnay then between 10 to 40 percent that's going to be Chenin Blanc so keep that in mind Chardonnay and Chenin are going to result to 90 percent of the total blend and then you've got your secondary varieties. so Morsac and Pinot Noir can be used so those two total 20 percent and just to really complicate things even more <laughs> Pinot Noir can only be used up to 15 percent so there really is some very specific percentages here when making Cremont dinner. Mou. Now what about Blanquette de Lemieux? Grape varieties are, well 90% has to be a minimum of Morsac and then followed by you can add some Chardonnay and some Chenin Blanc. Now you have Blanquette de Lemieux, Method Ancestral. What is the grape variety or varieties used in this blend? The answer is 100% Morsac. Now what is Blanquet de Lemoux Method Ancestral in terms of vinification? Now lucky for us this is very similar to the Method Ancestral of the Claret de D. So we are talking fermentation starts in tank when it gets to about five six degrees it will be transferred over into a bottle so of course again no liqueur de tirage they're not adding in sugar or any yeast it will then finish its fermentation at about six or seven degrees alcohol and typically the residual sugar is going to be about 50 grams per liter plus and this wine may be cloudy or clear actually fun fact the method ancestral sparkling wine production method can be traced back to Limoux here So they were credited with producing the very first sparkling wine, a Blanquette de Lemus in 1531. Now, you're going to be happy. We are done with all the crazy different methods, (laughs) the ancestral methods. And we're going to loop our way going up north a bit more now. So we're going in the southwest part of France. And this is where we're going to find Bordeaux. So what is the climate like in Bordeaux? So it is a moderate maritime climate. It is influenced by its proximity to the Atlantic Ocean and also the Gironde Estuary. So let's look at grapes. Of course, the grapes used in Cremont de Bordeaux are those that are used in the still reds and the still whites. But what are they? So you have... Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot, Cabernet Franc, there's Carmenere and Malbec, Petit Verdot that can be used as the red grapes. In terms of whites, it's Sauvignon Blanc, Sémillon, Muscadelle, Sauvignon Gris, and a maximum of 30% could be Columbard or Oigny Blanc. So if they are making a sparkling rosé, Cremant, what grapes can they use? Well, it is just the red ones that are allowed. Now, to finish off with Cremont, yay! (laughs) We're going up further north to the Loire Valley. So what is the climate here? This is a cool continental, but with some maritime influence from the Atlantic Ocean. So with the presence of the rivers that run through, this will also moderate the region too. So the sparkling wines of the Loire Valley are actually centered around one wine region principally. So what is that region? That is Semeur. But you're going to find that Cremant will cover the Anjou region, Summer and Touraine. So why is Sommers the region that has so many sparkling wine houses? Why are they located there? The reason is that the Loire South Bank, it's just made up of a 50 meter high plateau that the river has cut into. Now this is made of tofo. This is a type of limestone and it is just perfect for vines to dig their roots into and it's also an amazing material for you to build chateaus out of. So the rock that was excavated during France's Renaissance period in the 16th century. So, there were these quarries left of giant caves, and that has now become this amazing place for housing wineries and also underneath the ground, this perfect temperature for wine storage. And there are roads and roads galore that you can go and visit. So, talking about Sumer, because Sumer could actually be on the label. As a sparkling wine. If you get a summer sparkling wine. What are the grapes used? Chenin Blanc. Chardonnay. Then there's Cabernet Franc. Cabernet Sauvignon. Pinot Douni. Sauvignon Blanc. Grolo. Grolo Gris. Gamay. And Pinot Noir. Now if it's a white Sumur, It needs to be 60% minimum of what grape variety? It would be. Chenin Blanc. And if it is a rosé summer, it needs to be 60% minimum of what grape variety? That would be Cabernet Franc. Now, whilst we're talking about specific regions within the Loire Valley, you can also get Vouvray sparkling and they use one grape variety. This is the grape variety of that region. And that is Chenin Blanc. Now, if it's a Cremant de Loire, are the grapes the same as in Saumur? Are there any differences? Practically, they are the same. However, there is no Sauvignon Blanc that can be allowed, as it, this is seen as, as too aromatic. And in theory, this region, Cremont de Loire, is considered to be higher quality. Gamay is also not included, but Au Bois, the grape variety, can be used. Now, like most Cremont, Vouvray and Sommers spend nine months on the lees. But what about Cremont de Loire? That actually needs to be 12 months on the lease, so a little bit longer. Now, I'm happy to say we can conclude Cremont with just Cremont de Luxembourg. And this small country has a cool climate. The country benefits from the moderating effects of the Moselle River. Now they have a whole list of grapes that can be used. Maybe you want to have a think and pause, but the list is Riesling, Pinot Blanc, Rivanna, which is also known as Muller Elbling, Ossoir, Pinot Noir, which will be used for their rosés and Chardonnay. So let's touch on Carver. Now for those of you wanting to go into more detail, because I realise otherwise this episode is going to be super long, go back to episode 27. Yes, all the way back to episode 27 and I'm touching on Carver and Corpinat and the other... Categories. But for now, let's just actually focus on where does Carver come from? Well, it's actually not just one geographical location. Obviously, there is the heart of Carver. Where is that? So, that is in Penedes. And so, this is within the Catalunya. Region. This is the vast majority of where all the production is, but it can be produced in a third of Spain. Basically, so we are talking Rioja, we're talking Aragon, we're talking Valencia, Extremadura, Navarra, the Basque County. But as I said, the heart of carver production is in Catalonia, and if you're going to go within Penedès, there is a town called San Sadurní. Neuja, and this is where so many of the wineries are. And in terms of climate in this specific region, what is it? Well, It's pretty much Mediterranean, there's moderate rainfall, and you're going to find that many of the vineyards are situated at around 200 to 300 meters, but you can go as high as 800 meters. So now let's talk about the grapes, because the grapes are different here. There are three main grapes. What are they? The first is Macabeo, which is also known as Viura in the Rioja region. There is Charello, and there's Pareada. There are some other grape varieties that can be used as a white. Now introduced is Chardonnay. And for the reds, what do we have? Well, there is Trepat, Garnacha, and now allowed Pinot Noir. So I want to touch on the different grape varieties so you can know them a little bit more. Macabeo, this is most widely planted. It's early ripening, lots of green apple aromas, and typically is planted at low altitude or on the plains. But what about Charello? Well, this often gives you green gauge and gooseberry notes. It has this earthy, rubbery, Aroma to it. Often people have said that you may be able to blind taste Carver because of that earthy, rubbery tone. Well, yes, maybe that's coming from the Charello, and this will be planted getting low to medium altitude. Then you have Parella to finish those three main grape varieties. This has finesse and florals. It is planted at high altitude. Now for the reds, I mentioned Trepat, this great variety. So what does this offer to the wine? Well, it has really lovely refreshing acidity, raspberry flavours, and is only allowed in the rosados, the rose carvers. Now, carver is made in the same way as champagne, so the traditional method. So, how long does it need to spend on the lees? This is the same as most Cremants, so it is nine months on the Lees and typically the maximum juice yield is very similar to Champagne. Now there are carver categories. Do you know the carver categories? So there is non-vintage, vintage, there is Reserva, there's Grand Reserva and there is Cava del Paraje Calificado, which is a new classification. So let's look at each one. Non-vintage, how much on the Lees? As mentioned, it is nine months. But what happens when it is vintage? Actually, again, exactly the same. Nine months on the Lees. Reserva, if you see this on a label, what does it mean? Has to be a minimum of 15 months on the Lees. And Grand Reserva? This is going to be 30 months on the Lees. Now, with this new classification, the Cava del Paraje Calificado, what are the requirements here? So, it firstly actually has to be from a single vineyard and needs to be aged on the Lees for a minimum of 36 months. Now, moving on to Germany, they produce a sparkling wine called... German sect. Now, this is typically very high volume sparkling wine that is produced inside Germany. And actually, they can source their grapes from elsewhere in Europe. So, in terms of the grape varieties they can use, what are they? Well, actually, this is a really open book. There aren't any limitations. So, typically, Riesling will be used and Pinot Noir, Pinot Blanc if it's grown in Germany. But as I said, it could be any of the great varieties because they can source from Europe. Now, are there any regulations in terms of their production methods and vinification? Well, the ABV needs to be 10% minimum, needs to be a minimum of 3.5 bars of pressure and you'll primarily find the wines are made in tank method, but if there are premium versions, they will be made in the traditional method. Now, there are some classifications. So, what are they? So, we have sect, and that is the basic level. So, again, the sparkling wine, the grapes can come from anywhere in the EU. What if it says Ducha sect? That means that the base wine has been sourced from Germany. Now, if you see sect BA, the base wine comes from a specific German quality region. What about sect? Now, this is premium sect, it comes from a single vineyard and single grape variety, it has to be a state bottled traditional method and minimum of nine months on the lees. The vintage And the variety used in that wine, the Vinzer sect, has to be a minimum of 85% from that year and from that grape variety that they're stating. Now, again, like Carver, I have an episode on Prosecco, so I don't want to go too into detail here. Go and explore episode 48 to know more about Prosecco. But of course, this is the fastest growing sparkling wine category. Typically, it's giving you fruity and mainly off dry styles. And this is the most famous wine style using the tank method. There are other names for this. What are they? You could call this the Martinotti method, or the Charmant method. And that's because it was actually Federico Martinotti, an Italian, at the end of the 1800s, who wanted to find a sparkling wine that could be made at lower costs and faster. So he found a way to do a second fermentation in a stainless steel tank, but under pressure. So this is known as an autoclave. But a few years later, a French man called Eugene Charmat, he then came along and effectively improved these autoclaves. And that is why you can call it either. Now, what is the main grape that is used in Prosecco production? It is the Glera grape. Now, this used to be called Prosecco, but to protect the region, the name was changed in 2010. But alongside Glera, you can use 15% of local varieties. So this might be Verdiso, Bianchieta, Trevignana, Perera, or Glera Lunga. And there is also an option to use international varieties such as Chardonnay, Pinot Bianco, Pinot Grigio and Pinot Noir and Prosecco itself is a DOC but to get the highest quality the DOCG it's between two towns what are they so this is Conegliano and Valdobiadne so this is 15 communes between those two towns within the province of Treviso now going down south from Valdobbiadene, you'll also find a solo DOCG However, the whole Prosecco DOC covers nine provinces in Veneto and the Friuli-Venezia-Giulia region in the north-eastern part of Italy. Now, within the Conegliano-Valdobiadene DOCG region, you may see on a bottle rives. Now, what are they? So, a rive is basically a steep area that has been selected because of its very specific macro climate. Now, everything has to be hand harvested here. However, with the steepness of the slopes, it's the only way that they would be able to pick the grapes anyway. And their yields are stricter, so they have more controls here. So you're going to see the Rive and then the name of the village or the municipality on the label. Now, right at the top of the triangle, you're going to see Cartesi, Superiore de Cartesi. And this is made up of literally 108 Hectares. This can be found enclosed in about one square kilometre, and there are around approximately 140 different landowners this is known as the best place this has the southern exposure so the grapes get the highest sugar levels amazing breezes coming down from the mountains so no issue with fungal diseases the soil is super rich in minerals so this was a seabed about five million years ago and what with the amazing microclimate here there are much stricter yields here the lowest yields per hectare so here maximum yield is 12 tonnes per hectare. But what are the typical yields for a DOC compared to a DOCG? So grapes being labelled as a Prosecco DOC need to be 18 tonnes per hectare, whereas if you were purchasing a Prosecco from a DOCG region, the yields need to be 13.5 tonnes maximum per hectare. Now, what is the climate here? So this is a warm continental climate. There are sea breezes and cool winds from the Alps affecting the climate here. And in terms of the best grapes, as I already mentioned, they come from steep slopes. The best are south facing and will have larger diurnal range. And you're going to find slopes up to about 500 metres in the DOCG areas. Now, what is the minimum potential alcohol here? The answer is 9.5%. And do you know what it means if you see spumante on a label, frizzante or tranquilo? Well, spumante is fully sparkling, frizzante is lightly sparkling, and then if you see tranquilo, this is a still. Now, in Prosecco, you will find they follow the same sugar levels as all over the world. I mentioned an off-dry style is quite typical, especially on the cheaper level Proseccos in the supermarkets. That would be extra dry, so between 12 to 17 grams residual sugar per litre. But if you do look out, you will often still find a brute Prosecco, so anything between 0 and 12 grams residual sugar per litre. So sticking with Italy, we're going to go to Franciacorta, which is a delimited area within the region of Lombardia. And there are 19 municipalities here. Now, what is the climate here? So this is warm, continental. The area is moderated by breezes that come from Lake De There is a natural amphitheater at the top of the valley. Now, in terms of the viticulture, so yields and picking with minimum potential alcohol, what are they? So in Francia Quarter, it's firstly actually planted high density. So big vines are no longer allowed and irrigation is only in extremes. The maximum yield is in fact 10 tonnes per hectare and grapes need to be picked, hand harvested, with a minimum potential of 9.5% ABV. And what about the vinification methods inside the winery? So Franciacorta is made in the traditional method and actually the maximum juice yields are similar to champagne. The minimum time that a wine needs to stay on the lees is actually how long? 18 months. And although predominantly you're going to find the dry styles, Brut, they can do everything from brut nature all the way up. Now, what are the grapes that they are using in this wine? So, Pinot Nero, which is Pinot Noir, it's the way the Italians would say Pinot Noir, Chardonnay and Pinot Bianco. However, this can only be 50% maximum of the blend. The last grape variety that can be used is one called Herbamat. And I apologize because there is no way that that pronunciation is correct. Do check out the show notes. But this is a forgotten grape variety. It's late ripening. It's a white grape variety that's quite neutral with high acidity levels. And since 2017, you've been able to use up to 10% of this grape variety in the blend. Now for each wine style, what is the aging requirements? So for non-vintage, I've already mentioned, It's 18 months on the Lees, but interestingly, 25 months before it can be released. Now, what about Reserva? So this is 60 months on the Lees, with the release after 67 months. This is really the wine that is at the top of their pyramid. Millicimato. Well, first of all, 85% of the grapes have to come from the specific Year, because this is a vintage wine and it must be 30 months on the lease and 37 months before it is released. Now, have you heard of satin? If you see satin on the label, this is a what? So it's a Blanc de Blanc. It's typically made from Chardonnay, but up to 50% could be pino bianco and it has less bars of pressure compared to champagne so always less than five bars and actually to achieve that when they add in the liqueur de tirage so this is the sugar and the yeast they will put in 18 to 20 grams per liter as opposed to about 24 grams per liter for a fully sparkling wine this style is always brute so it's a dry style and actually satin means silk and so the idea of this is you get this very soft really gentle style it's got a nice creaminess it's not so intense and therefore it is silky satin. <laughs> oh and it must be aged for how long at least 24 months on the lees Lastly, if you get a Franciacorta rosé, it must have at least how much Pinot Noir in it? So the base wine must be at least 25% Pinot Noir. And in terms of time on the lees, it's a minimum of 24 months. So let's look at Lambrusco, which is the fluffy red wine from Emilia-Romagna, which is in the northern part of Italy. Now, in terms of the grape variety, what is it? Well, the grape variety is Lambrusco. However, there are over 60 different varieties of Lambrusco that have been discovered. And these varieties can grow up in the north of Italy and down in the south. Now, I mentioned there are 60 types at least of Lambrusco grape variety, but there are four that are considered to be the highest of quality and used most regularly. So what are they? They are Labrusco Salamino, Labrusco de Sobara, Labrusco Maestri and Labrusco Grasparosa. Now, you'll typically find most Lambrusco wines are actually a blend of these varieties, but sometimes they will use one single varietal. Now, the Lambrusco family of grapes, it's native to Emilia-Romagna. And within that, there are four DOCs. There is also one other DOC that's in Lombardy, which is called Lambrusco Montovano. And this Lambrusco, it's typically in a dry style or a semi-dry style. But focusing on the other four from Emilia-Romagna, what are they called? So you have Lambrusco Reggiano, Lambrusco Grasparossa de Castelvetro, Lambrusco de Sovara, and then Lambrusco Salamino de Santa Croce. Now, it may not be a surprise that the Lambrusco Grasperosa de Castelvetro is using dominantly Grasperoso grapes and so this is the wine with the most tannins it's quite meaty it's very very intense and this comes from the smallest and hilliest of all the Lambrusco DOCs it's just a really typically dry full-bodied and it's very deep purple in color another non-surprise is Lambrusco Salomino de Santa Croce so this is made from typically Salomino grapes But both of these two regions need to use what percentage of Lambrusca grapes. 85% minimum must be Lambrusca grapes in the blend. Now, when we look at Lambrusco de Sobara, this has an incredibly high reputation for its quality. And typically, the wines are based on the Lambrusca de Sobara variety. There must be at least what percentage of Sobara? 60% in this blend and up to 40% Lambrusco Salamino. Then lastly, you have the DOC Lambrusco Reggiano. And this too is 85% minimum of the Lambrusca varieties and just tends to be a nice blend. Now quickly just touching on the climate of Emilia-Romagna, what do we have here? It's warm continental here with hot summers and cold winters. Now, how do they vinify the wine? How are Lambrusco wines made? Well, they can be made either with the tank method or in bottle as well. So there's a lot of versatility here, but the tank method is chosen more often than not. Now the juice yields will be higher typically than champagne and actually the primary fermentation tends to be quite cool because the style of this wine is about freshness, fruity aromas and typically less tannins. They can also add in RCGM at the end to enhance the sweetness. And sweetness levels, what do you have here? Well, you can have dry styles and you can have sweet styles. Now, as mentioned with Prosecco, you can have spumante or frizzante styles. Typically, as I said, these wines are red, so rosso, but they do also do rosatos, so there are roses as well. And then you want to be looking out for the sweetness levels, which are secco, semi amabile, or dolce. Now, as time is of the essence and when it comes to the rest of the world, there aren't quite the same regulations and there's so many different styles. I'm just going to quickly touch on a few to point out and then leave you all to finish off your research. by perhaps purchasing some bottles and trying them yourselves. So in Australia, if you were looking for premium sparkling wines, the cool climate regions like Tasmania, Yarra Valley and Adelaide Hills are great ones to look at in terms of inexpensive sparkling Australian wines. Southeastern Australia, simply, or Riverland, Riverina and Murray Darling. And also Australia is known for sparkling Shiraz Wine. So high quality can come from Barossa Valley, McLaren Vale, Clare Valley, Kunawara, and the Rutherglen. Again, the cheapest stars are gonna come from Riverland, Riverina and Murray Darling. South Africa is known for doing Cap Classique which is their version of traditional method sparkling wines they have amazing quality and the prices I think are some of the best value in the world I did an episode episode 51 on Cap Classique if you want to go and investigate there You have Chilean sparkling wines where they're producing in the cool climate regions like Leda and Casablanca and Limari. In Argentina, you had Moet and Shandon set up their first location outside of Europe. And it would be regions like Patagonia down in the south and also the high altitude areas of Mendoza producing sparklings there. If you go across to California, there is the outpost of Champagne House Louis Rodera in the Anderson Valley. So within California, you might want to look at alongside Anderson Valley, but Russian River and Carneros. And of course, any country with cool climate regions or plantings of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir typically will be making sparkling wine. So I'm going to wrap this episode up. So as always, I finish with a wine quote and I have one from Winston Churchill who said, in success, you deserve champagne, in defeat, you need it. So interchange that word champagne with any sparkling wine you have, regardless of whether you are winning or losing today with your studying, with your learning of wine, grab that glass, relax, you deserve it. And I'll see you back here next week where we will be looking at the criolla varieties that came from Spain and arrived in South America in the 1500s. So I hope you're getting value out of these episodes. If you are, please do leave me a rating and a review on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts or on any app that you're listening to that allows you to do it because it makes the podcast more discoverable. Share the podcast with your wine-loving friends. Embrace the challenges this week. Conquer all your obstacles celebrate in style with a glass of sparkling wine those small victories along the way and i'll see you back here next monday cheers to you